Welcome to Practically Christian. I'm Janelle, and I'm here with my husband, Luke. Hello. And our friend, Jake. Hey, guys. We share conversations that help you know Jesus more deeply and follow him more faithfully. The truth is, no one has arrived at Christlikeness. To grow in that direction, we believe you need authentic relationships and biblical theology applied to your everyday life. We hope that you're encouraged to grow and to live out the biblical truths that we discuss on this episode. So let's get practical and dive into a conversation about sanctification. So actually in preparing these uh, next, this episode and the next two episodes, I walked around Denver Seminary campus and as something I do often, I walk around and I talk to the people who are not students at the seminary because I'm like, these people are Christians who like care about Christianity, but might like aren't trained to be pastors. Mm. And so I go, Hey, what do you think you need to know about sanctification? And, um, actually a very common answer that I got from multiple people was first, I'd need to know what it is because that sounds like a big, good Christian word. And I'm only a normal Christian. And so can you tell me what it is first? Yeah, that's fair. So um, that's kind of the goal is we're going to talk about in this episode and the next two about what it is and kind of the different parts entailed into it because it's actually kind of big, but actually it's a lot, a lot more simple than people make it out to be like with the way the word yeah. um, works. So Luke, would you mind explaining just basically what you think sanctification is? <laughs> yeah, so sanctification is a fancy way of saying holyfication. Um, so linguistically and conceptually in the New Testament, when it says sanctification, it means be made holy. So really, I think we're going to bring this direction to talk about holiness then. (laughs) What is holiness? How does God make us holy? What does it even mean to be holy? But really, yeah, it's a fancy word that just means, um, to be made holy or to be holified. So like when, um, in the Lord's prayer, if you're familiar with it, um, like the old King James version is hallowed be thy name. And many modern translations will say like sanctify your name, but really it's just a command to say, God, make your name holy, which is cool. Cause it's like a tie into the old Testament mm-hmm. command that says, um, you know, like you need to regard God's name, the name of the Lord as holy. And so we pray in the Lord's prayer. God, let that be true. Yeah. That's awesome. And it, I think another way that I kind of think about it is when we think about the word sanctuary. Mm. Like at a church, we have the sanctuary. That's where the preaching happens. Mm. Um, or even like people would even will even talk about some church buildings as sanctuaries. That's a place that is set apart for the use of God. Janelle wanted to share a um, story about um, adoption because it actually goes into the sanctification conversation well. Because the New Testament talks about the idea that you are being sanctified, but you also are sanctified. Present tense. Present tense. You are sanctified, and then future tense, you're going to be. I heard the story from a lady who had adopted two children from um, a distant country, and they um, came to be part of her family as kind of older children. They weren't babies. They were um, able to talk, and they soon learned English, and they were able to communicate. Um, But one thing that she found with these children is that they were terrified that if they screwed up, if they made their parents mad because they did something naughty, that they were going to be essentially kicked out of the family and unadopted. 
And she just had such a hard time communicating to them. No matter what you do, no matter how much trouble you get into, you are part of this family and that is like a done deal. Like it's done. Like there's nothing you can do to unadopt yourself from our family. And it was just such a a hard thing to think of like a a child feeling so insecure in that way. Um, And also a beautiful thing to think of her trying to communicate to them that they are loved and accepted and adopted um, regardless of their behavior after that. Um, But I I thought it really connected to this idea of sanctification in the sense that we as Christians have been adopted through Jesus' sacrifice made it possible for us to be adopted. And when we accept his gift, we are basically signing those adoption papers. (laughs) Like, yes, we want to be part of this family. And yet, as soon as we're in the family, it doesn't mean that we know how to follow all the family rules. It doesn't mean that we always follow them, even if we know them, um, that we might still disobey um, and get off track, I want to say, not be conformed to the image of this family that we've been adopted into, but are kind of like going away from that family in some sense. And yet we're still adopted. We're still sanctified. So part in that of the family. Mm-hmm. It's like if, if you guys adopted a child, immediately their last name is Hyrant. Mm-hmm. There is no, there is no like process to make them that once they like, once you adopt them, they are, but at like the same time, that doesn't mean that they know the rhythms of life of a Hyrant child. They don't understand when nap time is, what quiet playtime is, all of these different things. And there's probably going to like be a lot of rubbing, like in a, in a weird way, especially if the, if like the child you adopt comes from a bad background, right? Like an unhealthy background. And it's kind of funny to think about like God is adopting us into a family that's like the idyllic perfect family. And we're from... In, in some sense, like, Satan's family. Like, we're from the worst family. And he's like, yeah, you're adopted. And now, basically, everything we ever have learned and done is rubbing against mm-hmm. what the new family is about. Yeah. No, it's good. It's a beautiful image. I think that can help people when they're like, oh, no, I sinned, I messed up. Does that mean, like, I lost my salvation? It's like... No, that's not how this works. <laughs> you don't um, mistake your way out of the family. You, that's not an option, essentially, which I think is a, a cool idea. Yeah, and we're not getting into the the nuts and bolts of can you lose your salvation, really, in this? <laughs> yeah, so. the answer is yes, <laughs> but only if you do it on purpose. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like the family metaphor is really effective. To a, to a point. One of the things, if we look at Romans eight twenty nine, mm-hmm. it says we're predestined to be um, to be conformed to the image of Christ, so that He can be the firstborn of many siblings. Um, and I think that's like a really cool image as well. Like we're our adoption has the purpose of like building this family for Christ to lead, in essence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Luke's actually going to open us up to 2 Corinthians 5:17 and following. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, 
be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah, this is a huge section of scripture. There's like so many things going on that it's kind of crazy. And we're going to try to unpack some of them, but we're not going to be able to unpack all of them. Um, I think the first thing to talk about is like, when it says, you know, you are a new creation, there, it's really weird because there's no verb in that verse. Yeah, and, and there is some like, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. So what, what does it mean to be in Christ, new creation? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that strikes me is uh, how much that language of being in Christ comes up in that passage. Like God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and that he made him to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like there's a lot of in him language. Mm-hmm. So like whatever this new creation is, like it comes through union with Christ, being united with Christ, um, which was made possible through his life, death and resurrection. So like here, here's the, I think the question that comes from that from me. What does it mean like to be new creation and how does it affect how we think about ourselves just in general? What do you think, Janelle? Yeah, I would say for me, new creation, like that, that whole idea is just this freshness, this new start, I want to say. Um, I mean, a lot of people do New Year's resolutions and stuff because they feel like, oh, it's a new year, I get to start fresh. I do feel like it's like that freshness, the starting again from scratch kind of idea um, is what just stands out to me from the language, but the possibilities I want to say are, are new and not defined by our past. Like that we, now that we're a new creation, we don't have to be defined by what we did before we were in Christ. I think that's a good idea. What do you think, Luke? Yeah, I can't help but nerd out a little bit on the Greek because there's two different words for new in Greek. And there's one in terms of, like, quantity. Like, here's an old one. We threw that away. Here's a new one. This is not that word. This is the word that's, like, new in terms of quality. It's, like... New and improved. It's new and improved. It's the same one, but it's brushed up and cleaned off and, like, new. Which is cool because it's the same word that talks about, like, the new heavens and the new earth coming at the end of all things. So, um, I just think that's, like, a helpful distinction because it's not, like... Like, there is a literal body that you left behind when you became a Christian, and now there's a new person standing there. Like, no, it's, like, still you, but you're renewed. You're cleaned up and brushed off and way better than you ever were before. Yeah, and it's even, like, because your old life was a fallen life, you know, and, like, this is a brand new life So in Christ. So it's almost like it's not just renewed as in... Like, when you are more pure than you used to be, it's like, no, like, even better than that. So it's not just a return to innocence. It's, like, better than the start. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that we talk about, like, in holiness is that we, right, it's, like, set apart or, like, it's, like, different in some way. And I I love this um, verse from 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. It says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. 
and I think this is a really, like, I mean, even such says made holy, but it's a really good view of, like, what it means to be holy, where, uh, like, in my, in my idea, like, you know, you have things that are for kind of, like, common uses, and we have things for special uses, and so I think of, like, either, like, a chamber pot or a spittoon, right, it was what Janelle brought up when we were talking about this beforehand, it's like, you could have a spittoon where people, like, spit in, that's, like, what you do to it, you just, like, walk by and you spit in this, like, jar, but it's like God has renewed that and has made it like a vase for flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's polished it and shined it and it looks, it doesn't look like a spittoon anymore. It looks like a vase for flowers. And if you went up to it and you spat in it, people would look at you weird because that's not what it's used for. Mm-hmm. So how, like, how can we like understand holiness and what do you think like it entails when you hear God has made you holy? Yeah. I teach uh, Old Testament survey, and so we spend a lot of time in the Old Testament looking at all the cases where different things are holy, and there's actually like different degrees or levels of holiness in the whole tabernacle system, or different priests and Levites have to kind of attain and maintain different levels of holiness. And um, like the way I think of it is like being holy means being different in a good way. Because sometimes the way people have talked about it makes it sound like being different in a weird way. <laughs> but the idea is like different in a good way. So I like like your example of like vase to uh, from spittoon to, to vase. Like it's different than spittoon, but in a good way. Um, so it's like set apart for a specific use and also like, yeah, better than the surrounding things or than it used to be. Yeah, and what stands out to me mostly is like the purpose side of it. So like I've done this exercise before where you look at your hands and you just look at them and you think these hands are holy. They're set apart for God's purposes. Or you could do that with anything. Um, you could do that with your home or with your um, bank account or whatever. <laughs> like this is like set apart for God's purposes. Um, and where it's like really like that purpose driven side of it where um, it's not just about it being a nice thing. I want to say, if that makes mm, sense. Yeah. It's not like, oh, yeah. look, this is nice now. Um, it's set apart for godly use. It's like, or like the vessel thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, if it's a flower vase, it's for the flowers. It's not Mm -hmm. just so that it can be pretty on a shelf and be put away. Well, I'm glad you brought that up too. Cause like, that's part of where the old Testament system sadly like broke down so many times, but the whole point of being a holy people, their original calling was so that they could be a kingdom of priests. So they were supposed to be set apart, but basically so that they could represent God to the world. Um, like, that was the point of their holiness. Like, be different like me, God is saying, so that you can represent me to the entire world and that they can come to me th- through you. Um, and I think it's actually very similar in the New Testament thinking. Like, we're supposed to be different in a good way than the rest of the world. Not just so we can be more awesome or something or like the holy huddle idea. Yeah. It's like, not a holy huddle. It's like the whole purpose of being different in a good way is to be able to reach out more effectively mm-hmm. to others and to show them more effectively and truly what God is really like and what Jesus is really like. And like, so to take the, the vase analogy a little bit farther, right? I think we, it, if we think of ourselves as like this vessel that's been changed, what we've been changed from is a vessel for sin or like that does sin to a vessel or like a, a vase of righteousness. Now our, we should be filled with righteousness. Like how dare we fill that with sin? Just like how dare someone spit in the vase of flowers? 
kind of idea of like, don't, don't fill with sin what God has made holy. So um, this is a passage from Revelation um, chapter 3, and it's a message to the church in Laodicea, which is, um, if you um, know this passage, it's when he talks about being neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, so the, God's going to spit them out of their, his mouth. Um, but he's, he's warning them severely, and he says that they've gotten too complacent. Basically, they're comfortable with their riches, um, and they don't think that they need anything. So here it is in um, chapter 3, verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Yeah, so I think one of the things from this is, I think maybe it's like one of those verses that's like brought up all the time and misunderstood so much, where like it, what what John, the writer of Revelation, isn't saying is he's not saying be on fire for God or really against God. Because what, what he's doing is he's making a, a reference to like the city that he's writing to, which had an aqueduct that if you got cold water, you could use it for drinking. And if you got hot water, you could use it for medicinal purposes, but lukewarm water is worthless. And so it's kind of like that idea of be a vessel that's worth using. But um, there's also like this level of be clothed in these garments of righteousness, essentially. I think that garment analogy is used in various places and means like slightly different things in different places in scripture. Um, But the idea is that we are given a garment that you can only get from God, and that's the only thing that can be appropriate dress in some sense. Um, and it's purified. It's like a white garment, which especially if you think about the context of the, the original readers of these um, verses, which we call verses, but for them this would have been... Just a straight-up letter. A straight-up letter. But yeah, if they were to read that, seeing something that's actually super white was very rare if even in existence. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's just this image of purity and um, something that we can only get from God that we can't purify Mm -hmm. ourselves. So I don't know if that gets to that. Yeah, no, it does. And like the idea of, I think it, it says like cover up your shame of your nakedness, kind of this idea of like, of being exposed before others and before the world. And I think that kind of gets to this idea where God covers up our sin when he like declares us holy, like because we're declared holy, even though we're not yet. And just like the kind of like the, the adoption analogy, you are a a hierant, even though you aren't really yet, if that makes sense, like you're not fully integrated and just like, we're not fully holy. Um, So Here's the, like, the question is, what does it mean for God to cover up our sin when he declares us holy? Now, this relates, for me, it relates mostly to confession. Um, because if my sin is no longer, I want to say, under my record or under my account, I can be more open and honest with my confession because it's no longer a shame that's weighing on me because Jesus took that away from me. So for me, I think this is most practical in the sense of like God took the shame from you so you can go deal with the consequences and confess it and be free. Um, even though 
officially that's still you, right? If, if I commit a, a, a crime that's worthy of imprisonment um, just because I am saved by Jesus doesn't mean that that crime disappears, and yet I have a freedom to go and deal with it. Um, like, go do my time in prison and confess it to the police, for instance, without it being like a, a weight on me in like a spiritual sense. Yeah, for me, it brings up uh, these verses we've already looked at. Uh, in Second Corinthians 5, 21, uh, Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, like, it has to have something to do with God uniting us to Christ, who is the Holy One, the perfect, you know, embodiment of everything humanity was supposed to be. And then through being united to him, it's like, yeah, this thing where now somehow you are like my son, even though you're not totally like. Mm-hmm. So like when where we're united as the church with Christ, God sees the marriage and us together, not us and Christ, but yeah. us and Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way of thinking of it. Yeah. And then on the other hand too, like. Um, in Christ, like it says, he made him to be sin. Like Jesus not only took on sin, but somehow became it even Yeah, to do away with it. Well, if you want to play with the marriage metaphor more, it's like when you get married, you take the other person's debts. Yeah, that's true. Janelle did that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you do take the other person's debts and those are now your debts. Yeah. And we just be really glad that Christ had the ability to pay all of those debts that he didn't accrue, but were put on his account because of the marriage to the church. I think we should just remember that like scripture uses multiple analogies to talk mm-hmm. about what Jesus does for us, how he sanctifies us, mm-hmm. how he does away with sin. But the debt one is one of them that scripture uses and a helpful one. Yeah. In the next two weeks, we're going to be talking more about like, how the action of being sanctified works. Like today we're talking about what it means that God has sanctified us. And we're going to talk more about what the sanctification process looks like going forward. Um, But I think I just want to jump forward a little bit and say we're declared holy and we won't be completely holy by the time we die. There's no one who's going to be completely righteous when they die. So one of my like thoughts is in the new creation, how, like, what is going on? How are we going to be fully holy then when we're not, when we die? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I hadn't really actually really processed this question or thought much about it before. And I think, I think there's probably several strands to it. But one of them I was thinking about is, you know, if it's our union with Christ that accomplishes this, like, there are still a lot of things in this present life that hold us back from complete union with Christ. Mm. And so when Jesus returns and finishes his work, you know, and our hearts are fully renewed and our minds are fully transformed and we're fully united with Christ, I think that's going to be a lot of it where now through that work of new creation being completed, like you won't think bad thoughts anymore mm. and you won't desire to do bad things in your heart with a renewed mm-hmm. heart. So I think... That's at least a piece of it. To be totally sanctified means being completely like Jesus in that sense Mm -hmm. and having your mind and your heart fully restored. Mm. Yeah. What do you think, Janelle? Hmm. 
Yeah, it's a, I would say a great mystery to me. I feel like the, the end of time is like, whoa, like that's crazy. I don't know what to make of it, so I won't speak into it here. That's fair. <laughs> what about you, Jake? What do you think? Yeah, I think I think the, the recreation of the body is going to be a big deal, right? So I, I think that we we do have the propensity to sin because of um, just like what, like the world that we're born into that already has sin in it. And when those things are removed, I think that it's going to be a lot, it's the, the, it's not going to be an insurmountable thing not to sin when we're, we have union with Christ and we're not being held back by sinful nature. Mm-hmm. I think that will answer a lot of the questions, but I, at the same time, I, I'm, I'm interested to see, cause I don't, I don't even know if the, like, I was like trying to think about scripture that talks about this and I don't yeah. really think there is. Much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you were talking just now, it reminded me of like those categories that John gives us, I think at first John, like the world, the flesh and the devil mm-hmm. of like the sources of sin. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about new creation being this place where the world is totally renewed, mm-hmm. so it's not a cause of sin mm-hmm. or temptation anymore. Like every and all the cultures there will be God offering mm-hmm. ones completely and the devil will be thrown in the lake of fire, so he won't be there to cause sin, and your flesh will, will be, be renewed. renewed. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, I guess there will be. Yeah. <laughs> like sources of temptation? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it will be like the, the point where we have the Holy Spirit in us empowering us to do well as well. Yeah. And we'll be able to, I don't know, like access or understand the Holy Spirit in a much clearer way. Yeah. Well, and um, everything I've seen too from at least Old Testament encounters of prophets with God is like that encountering of his presence um, is a shocker, I want to say, or like a, it's like a big deal and transformative in and of itself. Like yeah, that's true. Apart from seeing God face to face inevitably yeah. change you on a fundamental level. Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. Um, so anyways, uh, we are going to do something a little bit different this time in our application in that we haven't done it and we haven't talked about it yet. And I've told Luke and Janelle and I didn't do it myself not to think about it or do it. So, um, we want you guys to join us in this. So if you're not driving or running or something like that, go ahead and like grab a piece of paper and a pen. And we are uh, going to make a list of the things that exemplify someone who is a child of God. And like then, someone who's in the family and yes. learning to follow the family rules, as it were. Yes. Okay. So we're gonna make a make a list of what it look like, what it looks like to exemplify being a child of God. And we're actually gonna pause the recording. We're gonna do this, and then we're gonna come back and talk about our findings for the application. Um, hopefully, you have the ability to do it yourself, so that you don't just steal our answers, because that would be cheating. Let's go. Okay, I don't know if you intended for this, Jake, but I just really got stuck on the child metaphor, the child of God metaphor, metaphor. so I just kept thinking of our own kids, and yeah, anyway, so mine have that theme to them. All right, so uh, number one, I said, uh, almost a naive trust in the Father's goodness, so like, just thinking about like our kids, oftentimes we're playing. And they'll, like, jump off of things that they probably shouldn't jump off of because they just think I'm going to catch them every time. <laughs> and thankfully I have for the most part. But it's just like this, you know, like, they don't, it doesn't go through their head, like, 
dad might not be paying attention. There's like, dad's here, he'll catch me. And I think that's like how we should be with mm-hmm. God. Like, he's got me. I know it. I don't even, yeah. All right, number two is um, kind of delighting in time with our Heavenly Father. <laughs> so, can go with the child of God metaphor. <laughs> playing, kids playing with their dad, you know, like delight in time together with the Father. Uh, number three, I said, um, a desire to do good, but not because of a fear of punishment, um, but out of, like, the motivation of love. Like, like I want to be like my Heavenly Father and uh, extend the love He's given to me t- towards others. So kind of good set motivation. And then number four, uh, to incur- to be an encouraging sibling. <laughs> so... Thinking of things like fellowship and encouragement in the body of Christ. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to like, what one of those do you think that you are like that you exemplify the most and which one do you think that you need to push into? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I don't wonderfully exemplify any of these. If I had to choose one, I'd probably say that. You know, the encouraging sibling, um, trying to encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ and fellowship and get-togethers to grow in their faith mm-hmm. and to honor God. I think that would probably be my highest low score. <laughs> uh, your second question was how to... what? Which one do you need to push into and, like, realize? Yeah, all of them. But... Um, yeah, I think the first one just jumped out to me, like the the almost naive trust in the Father's goodness. I think, even though I know it in my head, it's like this heart thing of mm-hmm. like, do you really have what's best for me, God? Can I really trust you? And um, yeah, oh. it's hard on day to day life when He calls you to do things sometimes. Yeah, definitely. What do you think, Janelle? What are you? What is your list? Um. All right, my list starts with the word free, and by that, I think it encompasses a lot of stuff, so I don't know how to um, sum that up really quickly, but um, I guess I want to say, like, unhindered. I think it kind of connects to your naive kind of that trust, that freedom. Like, I feel like children are free in a way that sometimes adults are not, and I feel like that is because of their needs being met and taken care of and they're less like I don't know in that kind of self-protective mode if they have a healthy childhood I want to say so um so that one came up for me and then the next one I said joy filled which again I guess connects to the child metaphor and and also to freedom where you have that joy because you're um able to just be in the moment and not be worried or anything that is kind of a joy stealer is not in front of you and then this is a cheating one, but I said the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> so if you don't know what those are, they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I just, I feel like that is, that is the list that we're given as far as like, this is what the character, the, the character yeah. traits of, um, God that he brings us through the spirit. So I guess I could subsume that. The joy one could go mm-hmm. underneath my fruit of the spirit list. Um, and then the last one, the last two I have are, are connected. So um, contentedness slash wholeness. So where there's like this feeling of like, I don't know, just fullness and not not envy 
at all. Um, and on those lines, I guess the connected one is you're able to celebrate other people Hmm. without that tinge of envy or personal, um, ranking system that we tend to, to have. So those are, those are mine. And I know your questions are going to come at me next here. So Mm -hmm. I feel like the one I'm best at, it's definitely the fruit of the spirit. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) I feel like in general, I'm a contented person. I think I don't have tons of struggles with envy. It definitely has reared its ugly head, and I've seen it several times, and it does happen to me, but I think overall I'm not an envious person. I'm able to enjoy other people's celebrations of their stuff without that side of it coming in. I will say recently one of the fruits that I would need to grow in the most is gentleness. I feel like I can be harsh or like just not gentle and patient, which are two different ones, but they go together. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> It'd be pretty hard to be gentle without being patient. <laughs> that makes Yes, sense. I think that's true. So maybe you're telling me that the stepping stone is patience to get to the gentle. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, no, so mine were um, someone who is life-giving in their relationships. And I think this is just something I've been thinking about, and I... I think a really funny example is one of my friends came into town the other day and he has two kids, they're five and seven. And um, just random side note, it's hilarious because I lived with them for like six months and so like I have a great relationship with these kids and so like we're walking down the street and he's holding his daughter's hand who's holding his son her his son's hand and his son's like starts holding my hand and everyone in downtown Denver thinks we're gay which is really funny (laughs) Um, like literally people are like you're such a cute couple I'm like please stop Um, we are not but during that I just thought it was so funny because um his son who's five turned to his older sister and was just like you're the best sister. Like, hmm. you're just the best sister. And I just, like, think about, like, the life-giving in relationships of just being able to, like, I don't know, build each other up in such a way that, like, is, I don't know, just, like, so pure in love that. Love spreads love. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so then I, I also put uh, hospitality because I think some of the people that I really respect and that I think really live into, sanct- like, being sanctified are very hospitable and, like, want to care for others. Mm-hmm. Um, I put cares about truth. I don't know why I put that. It just came to my mind. Um, and I, I think that's like, but I, I think it's true. It's like, we, we can't really be loving without telling the truth. Um, even we have to tell the truth in love, but like we, I think that's part of being a child of God is like saying the truth about God's goodness, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and then I put loves the giver more than the gifts. Um, partly because I've been reading through a bunch of Old Testament stuff. And uh, I think it's like we need to love God more than we love what he gives us. Just like kind of like you you don't love the gift that your dad gives you more than you love him. Um, and then I put love others just because that's that was something that came to my mind. <laughs> so I think um, the one that I probably need to work on the most is to be life-giving in relationships. I, mean, I think I can do that sometimes, but I think like, but just like even talking about it, just like I was like, wow, I should do that more. <laughs> what would like, that look like practically for you? Yeah, I think like it, it looks like um, encouraging others, but not like in a you got this kind of way, but in like a um, like building people up, just like whether it's like random or not, just like helping people see who they are in Christ more. 
Is there an example that you have of like what that looked like at one point in your life or in someone else's life? No, all I got is the story about a child <laughs> telling another child that they're the best. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't have. I don't have one that comes to the mind right now. Um, and I, I think the, the one that I'm uh, pretty decent at uh, would be uh, loving God more than the gifts. I think I'm pretty decent at that, but probably not great. <laughs> so um, the goal is that you guys would have either if you've already made a list or uh, go and make your own list, um, and then share that list with someone else and talk about it and kind of like give yourself a reason to do it. Be like, hey, what do I need to work at to fully live into being sanctified by God? And then do it. Yeah, I love how if you've read and studied any of Paul's letters, they have a very, very consistent structure to them. Uh, The first half is theological, the second half is practical. And if you read through the theological sections, it's a big emphasis on this is who you are in Christ, period. Then, and only after he's laid that foundation, does he switch to, now, therefore, this is how you should live. And so it's really a biblical theme to say, you are holy. If you've been united with Christ, you are holy. Now, become holy. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're aiming at, is that we are, as Christians, we've been made holy. So let us live that out as best we can uh, in tandem, I like that word, with the Holy Spirit, uh, which we're going to talk about a lot more in the next two weeks. Uh, Janelle, would you like to pray us out? Sure. God, you are holy, and we want to be like you, and um, you've made that transformation possible through Jesus and what he has done and um, what he has exampled for us. And So I thank you so much for your gift and I thank you so much for this life that you get to work out um, what you want for us um, through our connection with you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.